All right, so we are in part two, right? Brian kicked it off last week um, of Romans. It's not really divided up into parts, but I'm dividing it up into parts. And um, what do we see? Part one was that we're enslaved to sin, right? And now we're in part two, and it's that God rescues us from sin. And so we're going to be spending our time. We go through Romans 6.23, which I don't know when that is. That might be in two weeks. It might be next week. I'm not sure. But, but we're in this discussion right now of how God rescues us from sin. And so it's a how. This is, and Brian started it last week, and I'm going to kind of do what I normally do, right? And we're going to back up. I'm going to touch on a little bit. We're going we're gonna to race through chapter four, which hopefully, hopefully you guys read this week, right? Because you're going to the website, and you're checking your small groups, you're going through Romans chapter four, but I'll touch on that. And we're going to launch into Romans chapter five, which means we're going to start in Romans chapter five, verse one, what Jennifer read in about 20 minutes, Okay. So hang with me, because we gotta, we got we to gotta get there before I get to just the first five words in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, in order for us to, to get the basis of, again, what Paul is saying and, and the context of where he's taking us here. Um, I want to say a quick disclaimer, and then, and then we'll pray and, and jump into this. This is house of salvation. Okay. We cannot presume that we understand fully how God changes the hearts of humanity and how he rescues us. He, he communicates some of these truths to us in his word, sufficient. He, he communicates enough for us to understand. And frankly, I, I just don't think like what we, in our eight pound brain, I don't, know how, how big, I don't know how big our brains are, but like we just can't actually fathom and completely comprehend. So there are some pieces of the how that we kind of just have to go, well, this dot and this dot, and, and we're just going to have to, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not going to be able to explain all of it. We're not going to be able to get through all of it. But what I would challenge you to do is try. Try to understand it. Try, try to get to the point where, where you can connect them as much as you can, right? The, 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 the least amount of jumping you have to do, the more profound your worship will be. The more excited you will be to proclaim the gospel. And that's what we're doing, right? We're equipping ourselves. This isn't just a theological treatise. We're not just trying to learn more and saturate ourselves with big words like justification, and, and right? That's not the point. The point is that, that we can go out of here understanding that we are, in fact, justified and what that brings to us in our lives that we can then share with those who don't know what justification is and the gift of grace that God gives us. So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time, and we pray that you would uh, just give us, give us the ability to understand you, to understand your ways, to understand your love and your justice. God, I, I pray that the misunderstandings that we may have about your justice and your love would be cast to the side, that you would capture our hearts and convict us and help us to see the truth of who you are as you communicate it to us in the way that you save us. God, we are amazed by you. And I, I ask, Father, that you would give me um, clarity of words here to, to communicate this well. Um, 
and that you would just be God. That you would just remind us of how great you are and how glorious and how worthy of worship and praise you are. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So part one, we are all depraved. We are all sinful, right? And we saw this. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Brian preached on this last week. And what do we read? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Like that's what, that's, that's kind of where Brian left off last week, that, that, that Paul talks about this as he's writing this letter to the Romans and he's saying that the righteousness of God was for whom? All who believe. Why is he saying that? Because in part, in, in part one, in chapters one through three, what did he say? You're all sinful. All of you are sinful, right? Jew, Greek, clean life, good life, successful in life, doesn't matter, bad in life, you know, like it doesn't matter. You're all depraved. You're all in rebellion to God. You're all deserving of wrath. And so now he says, but you're all able to be saved. You see the, you see the logical argument that Paul is making here. You're, the all in chapters 1 through 3 of depravity goes to this where he establishes that this righteousness of God that's given to us is given to all who believe. And no matter who you are or where you've been or, or anything like that, you guys see this, this logical connection. Remember, we were talking about this from the, the context of Jews and then everybody else, right? And the Jews said, well, we've got the law and, and here's all these things and I don't want to re-go through all of that stuff. And the Gentiles were, were like, you know, arguing for their point. Like, I, we don't have the law. It's not our fault. And, and what Paul says is, no, you're all responsible because you've got a conscience, and God's revealed himself through creation, but you can all receive the gift of the righteousness of God. And this is the beautiful part, and this is, that's the bad news into the good news. And so then Paul spends all of chapter 4 proving that point. And what he does, and, and honestly, it's really more of a, a, a directed towards the Jews, because the Jews would have jumped up and down saying, this can't be for everybody. It can't be. It's got to be different for us because we're God's chosen people. We've been God's chosen people. What, how, how did we lose this? It, it, we are special in God's eyes. And so what Paul does is he walks through all of chapter 4 and he uses Abraham, who the Jews would have pointed to as the father of their faith, right? And would have said, well, look at Abraham. And he goes, let's look at Abraham. Let us. This will be great. And we'll establish what Abraham did, whether God saw him as righteous because of his works or his adherence to the law, or was Abraham righteous based on his faith, based on believing in God. And it's the latter that Paul explains as he walks through chapter 4. And so what his, what his statement is is that faith brings righteousness. We're going to talk a lot of Christianese words here. I spent a considerable amount of time kind of backing up because it's like sometimes we say things that we don't really even know what we're saying because they're just the words that go together. So I, I want to challenge you this morning. Like if there's something that you're like that just didn't sound right, like, like I don't actually know what that means. 
Like, that's okay. There's a lot of stuff in the church where we just, we say things, and it's like, that sounded very holy, but I don't actually know what you just said. So this is an exercise in us kind of backing up and walking slowly through this and trying to grasp what that means. So when I say faith brings righteousness, how? 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 What? What, what does this actually mean for us? So let, me, let me walk through this a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little Greek here, not because um, I want you to be impressed by my Greek, because you shouldn't be, but because I Googled it, and, and it's easy to find stuff on Google, okay? Um, so the word for being right is dikaios. If you were reading this text in Greek, you would see some things that you don't see in English, and that's why I think this is important, okay? Dikaios, that's being right. So if you said, I'm right, you would say, I'm dikaios. I don't know how you would say that in Greek, but, okay? So dikaios is that. Dikaiosune, okay, is that you have a characteristic of being right. We'd all like to think we have that, but we don't. I'm wrong occasionally, sometimes, many times, okay? So dikaiosune, the same front, right, the same root of that word is righteousness, you have the characteristic of always being right. We are not righteous. We might have glimmers of righteousness, right? We might do some things right for a little bit of time, but it's not very long before we do things that are wrong. And therefore, the characteristic of righteousness goes out the window. We will never have a characteristic of righteousness in and of ourselves. Now, hold on to that. I'm going to come back to that. It's really important. So just hold tight. So all of the Old Testament was showing us this. God goes, here's the law. Follow it, and you'll be right. You'll be righteous. Just follow the law. Now, God wasn't playing with us. He was teaching us. He was teaching us that adhere us to that law perfectly would make us righteous, but it doesn't because we can't follow it. And so what do we see in scripture? That the law made us, rec made us uh, I can't think of the word, aware of our sins. That's what the law did. It made us aware that that last word cannot apply. Like we, we can't figure out how to get there. It's like a destination. And like, I was talking to somebody, like Google Maps is, you can't get to the destination. Like it just ends. Like the, the road just it, it dead ends. It's like, yes, I know I want to be righteous. I just can't get to righteousness. And that was the point. That was the point. And now, listen to this. This is, um, what does Jesus declare about the law? He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but what? Fulfill it. To fulfill what? All righteousness. You see what I mean, right? And so this goes back to what I was just talking to the kids. Like, like Jesus is perfectly righteous. He came, he lived a perfect life. That matters. That matters, okay? It matters that Jesus was sinless. It matters that Jesus completely, 100% adhered to the law, okay? So that's an important piece. Even when Jesus is baptized, what does he say? They go, John says, well, I shouldn't baptize you, Jesus. And Jesus says, what? He goes, no. He says, no, this is, this is good, to fulfill all righteousness. You see, 
There's a pursuit here. There's, there's a, it's not as if Jesus was trying to be righteous. He was righteous, and he was demonstrating righteousness for us. That matters. Matthew 5.20. If you've got your Bibles open, you can jump over to that or, or click over to it if you've got a phone. This, is, this should be the biggest gut punch that Jesus communicates to us. The biggest reality check that just cripples all of religion. Okay? And he says this after the Sermon on the Mount that everybody loves to read. Right? Whether you're a Christian or not, Sermon on the Mount, oh, we love it. Jesus is great. At the end of it, Jesus says, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Y'all got a plan? What's your plan? If, if you don't have a plan for this, let me tell you, it, it, it's Jesus. That's, that's the end of that. Like, that is the only solution to that statement. And there's a reason why Jesus is saying that. Because he would, everybody would have looked at the scribes and the Pharisees and went, they keep the law. I mean, they would know that they were sinful, right? But they have the sacrifices, and they could walk through stuff. And so they would have seen the scribes and the Pharisees like, like how could I be better than that? Like, they're, they're, they're professional at this. This is all they do. And Jesus goes, you got to be better than that. All right. Well, I don't know what to do with that. That's the point. Jesus is establishing a contrast. Scripture, all of Scripture is establishing this contrast between God's holiness and our unrighteousness. He's creating this chasm that we cannot cross. He's establishing and helping us understand that there's a problem that we cannot solve. And it's crazy because we think we can, right? Like, we actually think, like, I could you know, help an old lady across the street or, you know, pay for somebody's Starbucks behind me and we pat ourselves on the back and we're like, oh, look at how righteous I am. I'm such a nice person. But then we talk to our kids or our spouses or we act inappropriately at work or we do something, right? And, and we go, well, let's just, can we just ignore that piece? Let's focus on that whole Starbucks thing, God. Remember? Remember when I did that nice thing? And we play this weird game that is totally illogical. This weird game that like, let's just focus on my good things and let's just minimize my bad things and, and then hope that Jesus didn't really say what we, I just read. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? And this is why it's so fundamental that we look at that and we go, we go if this is the case, if, if what Jesus is saying is true, we have a very big problem to solve, and we cannot solve it on our own. That's the baseline. That's what, that's what all of Scripture is establishing and what Jesus communicates here. So chapter 4, Paul rolls in, and he goes, well, at the end of chapter 3, and then all of chapter 4, he goes, no, you have a righteousness that's from God. God gives you a righteousness. He gives it to you. Why? I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, like this, we really need to think through this, right? Here is God who has created us with free will to live our lives, and we go, thanks but no thanks. I'm going to do this, whether that's, whether that's just in the morning when you wake up, whether that's just a little bit during the day, or whether that's your entire life, there's some point where all of us have went, God, can you, can you just move to the side for a second? I got this. And so this is who God, God creates us this way. And, and, and then he goes, they're unrighteous, but I'm going to give them my righteousness. This is grace. Undeserved merit. It's what it is. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that you do where God's like, oh, he pays for Starbucks for the person behind him like once a week. Like that, that's just on another level. Good job, Jonathan. I don't, by the way. But, <laughs> but like, right? Like, like this, is, this is incredible that God does this. And so he walks through this. And look at what he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 23. But the word... Don't read it yet. Hang on. Let me say something first. I, I probably just gave it away a little bit. So I, I missed it. I missed the point. All right. So there's a word in chapter 4 that Paul uses 11 times in that chapter. Does anybody know what it is? Anybody? Counted. 11 times. Go, go through and circle it. Counted. And you know what that word means? It means like reckoned, or you could do the really churchy word, imputed. Okay? It's all the same word. It's like somebody has deposited money into your account, and you know you didn't earn it. It's reckoned. It's, it's, it's given. It's just counted on your behalf. It's, it's snowball standing in front of me, right? <laughs> Words that I never thought I would say. Um, right? Like this is, this is what he says and he proves to Abraham that, that when Abraham believed God, it was counted as what? Righteousness. In that instance, when Abraham believed, when God said, hey, I'm going to give you as many uh, descendants as the stars in the sky, and Abraham had all these reasons not to believe God, but he believed him... It says in Genesis 15 that, that, that God counted him righteous. Was Abraham then righteous? Do we read the rest of uh, Abraham's life and we're like, man, spot on, dude. You never sinned again. No, it's like a chapter later. And, then, and Abraham's off doing Abraham things, right? Doing the same things we do. So, the, so you got to understand this. The, I, I'm sorry, I don't, you're good. Um, so that, that righteousness that's from God, he doesn't actually, stick with me here, he doesn't actually make us righteous. Unless there's somebody in here that would define that every decision they make is right. You're not righteous, but you're counted as righteous. Very different things. You will be made righteous. That's for a different sermon. There's a sanctification process 
that God continues to transform us, which we'll talk about in a bit. But he counts us as righteousness. Now, read Romans 4, 23. It says, but the words it was counted to him, he's referencing Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So that's so we, we, we finally got to that last word here, which is justification, which leads us into chapter 5, all right? You guys see that? So he's saying like, what, what God did with Abraham in Genesis 15 counted his belief as righteousness, not based on works, not based on what Abraham did, but based on faith. This is why we say you need to believe in Jesus, okay? And we're going to keep building, put, putting more meat on the bones of this thing, okay? So we understand that because we say these things, and I don't, you know, because it, it, it kind of gets a little fishy when you're just like, what do you want me to do? Believe that Jesus existed? What do you want me to believe about Jesus? And this is what Paul's talking about, that, that right here, before Abraham knew who Jesus was, he knew what? That he could not become righteous without God. God had to do something, and he does. He counts him righteous. Okay, ready? That last word, justification, for our justification. And this is where that Greek word comes back in, okay? Dikaiosis, okay, is justification. Dikaios, being right. Dikaiosune, righteousness. Dikaiosis, being declared right. You would have, if you were reading this in the Greek, you would have seen that right, righteousness, and justification are all basically the same root word. We miss that because justification is over here, righteousness is over here, but they're not. They're the same. It's talking about the same thing. And so justification is God declaring us righteous. He's making a declaration outside of us. He's making a declaration that you are now possessing the characteristic of righteousness. That's what justification is. That's an important thing. So when Abraham believes God, God gives him his righteousness and then declares him in the, in the courtroom of heaven, right? In, as God sitting as the judge, he declares Abraham righteous. He's right all the time. Doesn't matter that he's not. This is what's important, right? What matters is that he has been justified. So justification is God declaring us righteous. This is outside of us. So it, it kind of seems like this is a little bit of a game, a little play on words, doesn't it? That God's like, here you are, you believe, I'm gonna like count you as righteous, like, and then I'm just gonna declare you righteous. I'm gonna give you my righteousness, I'm gonna, it's gonna just kind of cover you, just covering, you're still sinful underneath, I'm gonna cover you with snowball, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna cover you, and I'm going to declare you righteous. In, in the court of law, in the court of a just God, he declares right. What has happened to us? Is our sin gone right now? No. 
Are we still going to struggle? Yes. But this is past tense. All of these words are past tense. This happened. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, in his righteous life, and we'll get to his cross here in a second, but if you, if you are a follower of Christ in that you believe in him, guess what? You are righteous. And God has declared you righteous in his court. So what do you have to do? Make sure you stop doing all the bad things and start doing the good things or else God's going to kick you out. No. No, that's not how this works. He has declared it. He has declared that we are righteous. And so what's the product of this? Now, Romans chapter five, here we go. Justification brings four different things. We're gonna see it at the end here. So uh, chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we walk through this, look at how many times it's through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus. Okay, it, over and over and over again. This isn't something that God does abstractly. Like this is his plan, his execution of this is through Jesus. And so the first thing that justification does is it brings us peace with God. Peace. What do we read in chapters one through three? The opposite of peace. We exchange the glory of God for, for creatures and we, right, we did all these different things and we reject God and we do all this. And now, he gives us peace. Look at the second in verse 2. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's as if God, like, cracks open this door and he goes, yep, you can come in. You're, you don't just, I, I'm, you didn't just create peace here. We have a relationship now. That's what justification brings, is that, that God now has a relationship with us where we can now have access to him. And it even says in which we stand, like, like this, is a, uh, this is permanent, right? Like we stand with access to this grace that God has given us in justification. Because did we deserve justification? No, we, we did nothing. We just, we're just around. And then we just believed that God is doing this on our behalf. And then look at the second part of verse two. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification brings us peace, brings us access to God, and it brings us the ability to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? This is, this is where it's like, man, you gotta, it's a bit, it's a bit, right? Hope in the glory of God. What is he talking about? Hope is future. Hope is something different. Well, if I'm in right standing with God now, what, what's better? What do I need? If I'm justified and I'm righteous in God's eyes, what else do we need? I'd like to really be righteous. <laughs> Wouldn't, don't we? I want, to, I want to really love the things that God loves and hate the things God hates. I really want the transforming of my mind. I really want to be aligned with God. I don't, I don't just want this like in a, in a courtroom. I want to really be changed, right? Isn't this what we want? 
Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is the hope. He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God doesn't leave us there. This, this justification that's happened is the starting point of our lives. And then he does sanctification. And we behold God. And we come in here and we gather together and we, we pour over God's word. We, we worship together, right? We, we fellowship together and we are beholding God. We're, we're, we're consuming him. And, and as that happens, what does it say in 2 Corinthians? That we're gonna be transformed. We're gonna be transformed more and more into Christ's likeness. That's a promise. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. Our transformation is not a requirement of our justification. Let me say that again. Our transformation is not a requirement of our justification. Justification is the starting point. Okay? This is, this is where we miss it. We miss it very often because we go, I'm, not, I'm still not good. Well, you're not going to be good. Not until you're in the presence of God and he's fully made you righteous, okay? It's okay. But this is where you get into James, okay? And you go, well, James talks about Abraham and he says, Abraham didn't just have faith. In fact, James says that, that faith without works is dead. What is he saying? He's saying that if God has started this and you've been justified, you're going to be on this path of sanctification. You're going to be coming more and more. You're going to be transformed in the likeness of Christ over and over throughout your life. Different things. This is like, there's no like steepness of this growth or anything like that, but it is growth. And if there is no growth, this didn't happen. It didn't happen. If, 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 if we aren't drawing closer to God, if we aren't feeling in, in our hearts that, that this desire to be closer to God, that if we don't, and this is hard, right? Because you don't want to go into the, the path of legalism here. But there's some piece of this that, that there is a process, and it's clear in Scripture that God gives you his Holy Spirit to do what? To produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, I missed one, but right? Like, like this is what he's producing. And those should be coming out in increasing measure. Not based on age. Okay. It's just it's spiritual maturity. It's just, it's just how God is doing that in our lives. It's okay. But it should be happening. I don't say that in a way to, to scare you, but it's very important that one. You realize that, that this process is not the requirement in order for you to be saved. Like, you don't have to hope that, man, like, like I've got the right steepness, and, and here's the bar, and i gotta, I got to get over that bar before I die. And, and if I don't, I'm going to miss it. It's not it. It's not it at all, okay? And this is what we read here, because he says that we stand in this access to grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
All right, and then the last one, verses three through five. Romans chapter five, three through five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So we rejoice in this future hope, right? But we also rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when God gives us, counts us righteous, okay? He gives us his Holy Spirit. And, and with the Holy Spirit comes love. And so what we should see in this life is increasing love, increasing compassion. We should. We should. And if you're not, you're wondering like, man, I just don't, don't feel like that's where I'm at, go to God. It's okay. Again, the, 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 the slope, this is my mathematical sign, but like this side of me, but like the, the slope of this doesn't matter, right? God justifies us once and for all. And these are the gifts that he gives us. And then we live out our lives pursuing, beholding his glory. And what's gonna happen is we are gonna be transformed into the image of his son. Finally and ultimately, we read this in Revelation, at the coming of his son, when we are changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, everything's gonna change, right? We're gonna become new creations, right? Everything's gonna change at that point. And in that point, we're gonna be perfectly righteous. And so that's what we long and hope for. And so in the meantime, we have sufferings and we have problems. And God goes, yeah, but, but those sufferings and problems build character and endurance and hope. It's not shame. Even your sufferings with sin, I think, is in particularly what Paul is talking about here. It's not shame that you, as, as followers of Christ, we shouldn't be shamed by our sin. We celebrate the fact that, that Christ has already died to it. He's already solved that problem. And it doesn't mean we bask in it. It doesn't mean we go back to it. It means we struggle with our sin. We should all be struggling with sin. If you're in here and you're not struggling with sin, that's a, that's a dangerous place to be, okay? All right. So what Paul has built up here is this beautiful picture of God being this the judge and justifying us, giving us righteousness. This one point in time, he's like, you are justified, okay? And that is a loving, incredible loving act of God, right? Like, he just chose to do this. You, you didn't earn it, right? We, we read that in, uh, I think, in chapter four, right? That, that wasn't based on if, if you... Sorry, uh, I, I lost my train of thought there. If you're working and somebody pays you, you deserve your wages. That's why it must be by faith and not by works, because you don't deserve it. That's what Paul is saying in chapter four. Okay, all right, so now he gets into love. So read um, verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. 
right? Again, you got to back up. The God of the universe created all of humanity. We all rebelled against him. And what was his solution? He comes, he lives a righteous life, and he suffers and dies. Like, that's love, right? Like, like he didn't need to do that. That's why I said at the beginning, why did he do it? I don't know. Love. A love that's greater than our love, certainly. A love that's totally different from our love. Like, we can have good love, but, but not like that. And this is what Paul's saying, like, yeah, may, maybe you might die for somebody good. <laughs> but would you die for your own enemy, like the person that you hate, the person that you struggle with? Maybe, maybe not even die. Would you sacrifice your time and your energy for them? That's less than dying, isn't it? And yet, somehow, I feel like it's harder. <laughs> Suffering and serving somebody who's going to take advantage of you. And so that's what he's pointing to, this love of God that is totally different than our love. But why did Christ have to die? Think through this, right? Because this is where we just kind of get into the, the Christianese stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably you just read this like I did the first time. And I'm like, yeah, Christ died. And that's how we got his righteousness. Well, how, how, how do those things connect? In fact, they don't. His death was for a different reason, not for the righteousness. His life was the righteousness part. His perfect, righteous, sinless life is what gives us righteousness, right? Like, he has fulfilled all righteousness, and then that has been counted on our behalf, right? Like, that's how we got that. Okay, now, break. Paul's just showing us that, that God really loves us, that he's done all this. But look at what he says now in the next, um, yeah, in the next section there in verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, meaning Jesus' death, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Well, where's this wrath come in? Right? So far, we've talked about God just loving sinners and just giving us his righteousness because he wanted to. Through, like, we just show faith and he gives us righteousness. And then he justifies us. Well, that's all love. It's all love, isn't it? There's no wrath in there. Where's, where's the justice? There is none. We haven't gotten to that part yet. But there is justice because God is loving and just. So Christ, so Jesus lives a perfect, righteous life. That's why our faith in Christ gives us that righteousness, okay? If we trust in that and we believe in that. But his death absorbed the punishment of our rebellion, okay? That's why he says it's the blood that's done this. And then look at what it says. We don't talk about the wrath of God very, long, very much, do we? Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Enemies? Enemies. You guys with me on this? Like, like, 
the wrath of God against enemies, us. We are God's enemy, and he is our enemy. Enmity. Like, don't think that like God was like looking at your Starbucks purchases and, and going like, oh, that's a little bit on the right direction. No, you rebel against him. You are rebellious. I am rebellious. We are all rebellious. We established that in Romans chapter 1 through 3, right? Paul established that. And so here we are. We're, we're enemies of God. Do, do we get this? Like without all of this, without God doing something, we are his enemies. And what happens to enemies of the powerful, just, holy, sovereign God? Punishment. Can you pay enough penance? Can you, can you do something to pay him back? Maybe, maybe there's an exchange rate. And we, we sometimes think there is, right? Like, how much do you have to pay God back for messing up? How much do you, how, when you say I'm sorry to somebody and you've offended somebody, how do you pay him back? You don't. It's just, it's just there. It's just, it's just there. And hopefully there's some grace and some forgiveness. But the sin's still there. You can't make up for that. In fact, this dawned on me this morning, and I told Melissa, I'm like, we're drinking coffee. I'm like, oh my gosh, Melissa. Like, I never thought about this. Like, this is why hell must be eternal. Because if hell was like 100 years, Right? I, honestly, like theologically, I struggle, struggle with hell a little bit. I, like, it's scripturally true, and, and it's eternal, clearly, but like, it's hard. It, it's a hard subject. It should be, frankly. It, I, I think it should be for all of us. But if it was 100 years, then that means there's a price tag on rebellion against God. And, it, and it's finite. It's like, oh, that's easy. It's 200 years, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. But it can't be. Rebellion against God is of an infinite nature. You can't make up for those sins. They are there. And so, the blood of Jesus Christ pays for our sins. Once again, not only is the righteous life of Christ applied to us, but, but God imputes, counts, okay, not just counts us as righteous, he counts our sin against Jesus. I, I, I did not put this verse in here. Oh, no. Um, go to, go to uh, this isn't the right one, but uh, anyway, it, it works. Isaiah 53, uh, 11. Yeah, yeah. It's, Jesus quotes it. Um, I think. <laughs> anyway, bear with me. Anyway, Isaiah 53, 11, it's God's truth and it works. So it, it, this, is, this is the prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah. And what did he say? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Oh, keep reading. Sorry, verse 12. Therefore, <laughs> I'm sorry. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. That word, counted. Same one. It's the same word as, as us being counted as righteous. So what happens to Jesus? He's counted as a transgressor. What happens to us? We're counted as righteous. This is, this is, you, this is like double imputation is what this is called in the theological circles. But it's, it's that, like, this is the great exchange I always talk about, right? That we get Christ's righteousness and he takes on our sins. Like, this is, this is mind-boggling, you guys. And it's through Christ's righteous life and it's through Christ's death on the cross, the blood that he sheds for us, that satisfies the infinite wrath of God due to his enemies. So when we say you should believe Jesus, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but that's what we're believing in. That's what we're believing in. That's the truth of the matter. I think I'm in the verse 10 still here. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And now here's Jesus bursting forth through the grave, conquering death. We're reconciled. And, and Paul's sitting here going like, if all of this has already happened, and then on top of that, Jesus conquers death for us, how much more are we going to be, right? Like, like it's just kind of this, uh, Paul's just on his heels going like, I don't even understand how, how, how and why God is doing this, but, he, but he's done this. And then verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. This is the last one, so thanks for hanging in there. A little longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God. It's kind of a, like everything I've just said. <laughs> All of this is from God. Has there been anything that we've said that like, hey, you got to make sure you, no. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We proclaim the gospel. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. Which means your life should look like everything I've just talked about for the last 45 minutes. It should reflect grace and love. It should reflect mercy. It should reflect forgiveness. We must be about reconciliation. Across the board, you guys. 
Because we can't sit here and, and fathom and rejoice in God's reconciliation and then not be reconciled in our actual lives. We can't do both. It's hypocrisy. If we're really that in awe of who God is and what he's done for us and how he, God, the creator of the universe, has chosen to reconcile us to him for no merit of our own, can we show a little bit of grace and undeserved merit towards somebody that, that cut us off or that's not nice to us or that spoke meanly to us? Can we? We should. And that's what makes us ambassadors of Christ. That we ought to be reflecting Christ in a way where people see our lives and go, man, that looks a lot like Christ. That's our call. So don't think this equipping us, where we're talking about equip, being equipped to proclaim the gospel, it's not just head knowledge. It's that we, we allow this to saturate into our lives and change the way we live. Why? Because we want God to be glorified. I don't, I don't want people to think great of me. I want, I want people to think great of God. I want people to glorify him. I want people to understand what real reconciliation looks like. Why would you show me grace? God showed me grace. I did a lot worse to him. I continue to do a lot worse to him. 